0: The war in Ukraine has been going on for five months now. And we've heard what the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, thinks about what he calls a special military operation. —
1: The purpose of this operation is to protect people who, for eight years now, have been facing humiliation and genocide perpetrated by the Kiev regime.
0: To this end, we will seek to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. But for the Russian people, the differences in their opinions can be pretty stark.
2: In my extended family, it's got to the point where since they're all living in the same household, they just try not to talk about it. Just everyone's positions are so ingrained.
0: So five months on, what are
1: Russians thinking? I talk with the Russian guys who are on the front line. They say everything is
3: cool, going according to plan.
0: Well, it depends on who you ask.
3: There will be an incredible trauma in Ukraine, but also trauma in Russia. And this will lead to some kind of change in the Russian society eventually.
0: I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Niko Vrobyov has been writing for Al Jazeera's website for the past few months about Russia's response to the war.
2: Hi, my name is Niko Vrobyov. I'm a freelance Russian journalist and I'm happy to be here.
0: Fantastic. We're happy to have you. Where am I catching you right now?
2: For various reasons, I'd rather not reveal my current location.
0: Niko's not in Russia now, though.
2: Elsewhere in Europe.
0: That much, he's willing to say.
2: But I was born in Russia. I've got family there. I can reach out to quite a few people if I want the right information. I speak Russian. I know the right groups to approach about certain topics. So how is he reporting outside
0: the country? Well, basically uh, social media, messaging apps. And we got in touch to ask him about what he's hearing. So, Nika, we are almost exactly five months into Russia's war on Ukraine. And of course, there are plenty of people in the West and in Ukraine who want Vladimir Putin to stop this war. What about people in Russia?
2: I think it's very hard to tell what the majority opinion in Russia is. There's been a lot of surveys, even by very respected independent powers who are free from government influence. Some polls saying over 80% support the special operation, as it's officially called in Russia. But I take that with some caveats. For example, there's been a new law that's been passed saying you can't spread so-called fake news about the conflict. The Kremlin and parliament threatening up to 15 years in prison for spreading what they call, quote, fake news, potentially
3: outlawing words like war or invasion.
2: There's another law which says you can't discredit the armed forces. So a lot of people are just scared to really speak their minds. So really like just anecdotally, from my own experience, it's rather split. I'd say that the younger generation which uh, gets more of their news from the internet, which is more sort of globally connected, they're not so attached to the historic events which brought Putin into power, such as like the the Cold War and uh, the chaotic 1990s
0: the post-Soviet Wild West Russia of the 1990s.
2: I'd say that overall, they're more against the war. Not not everyone, obviously, but overall, I'd say they're more against the war. Whereas the older generation, they have uh, some nostalgia for the Soviet Union. You can see Putin as sort of like this beacon of stability. They support the government. They're not gonna be convinced by some young whippersnappers who think they know everything, you know?
0: And of course, That can be an issue around the dinner table. How do friends and family and acquaintances discuss the war? Does it come up at all?
2: I'll be honest with you, like a lot of families, including my own family, there's been kind of a split over the so-called special operation. Like the older generation going one way and the younger generation going another. A lot of Russians actually have family in Ukraine. And there's been a lot of stories where the Ukrainian side of their family is calling, literally saying, hey, we're being bombed. And their Russian relatives don't believe them. They're saying it's fake news, it's all propaganda. Like, they're not believing their own family about what's happening in Ukraine.
0: It's interesting to hear those perspectives. What does support for Putin look like right now? And has that changed through the course of the war? I know you said that it's hard to get an accurate assessment of that, but are there ways that you can see support for Putin?
2: It's quite hard to tell because the government is also very much encouraging these things. So a couple of months ago, Putin held a big sort of pro-war concert in a massive stadium in Moscow. There are like tens of thousands of people there. There is some, a lot of genuine support, but there's also been quite a few reports and interviews that a lot of the attendees, they were actually government workers or they're working for companies which are closely connected to the government and they're basically just told to come. And they don't really have much choice in coming. So, like, the government is very much trying to inflate these figures themselves. So it's quite hard to tell how much of the support for the war is genuine.
0: And we were able to speak with one genuine Putin supporter, whose job it is to drum up more support. Hi, I'm Sergei Kalenik. I'm a
1: professional public relations manager, maybe something like this.
0: Sergei was in his apartment in the center of Moscow when we reached him by Zoom. He's in his 30s and gives off a young, energetic vibe. While he talked, he was petting his hairless cat. He's kind of a big deal in Moscow. I'm famous mostly uh, for my comic Super
1: Putin that I made it for uh, elections 10 years ago.
2: This internet comic strip has caused a sensation in Russia where almost 5 million have been gripped by Super Putin.
0: The original comic was part of a viral marketing campaign. Ahead of Russia's 2012 election, it depicts Putin in martial arts attire, saving a busload of people from quote unquote terrorists. Dmitry Medvedev, the now former president, dressed in a bear suit, also lends a hand. It's had millions of hits, and you can see it for yourself. It's still up at superputin.win. That was pretty popular. <laughs> Represents me well. And it doesn't stop with Super Putin either. Sergei says he's credited with inspiring another famous image of Putin as well. The image of Putin, this guy on a bear, topless. Putin himself is a fan. According to Sergei, his exact words were, It's cool. And he says Medvedev likes the comic too. Medvedev asked me to make another comic about him. Sergei also makes it to the Kremlin pretty regularly, he says. But since the beginning of the war, he hasn't been doing much PR. I'm going to the Kremlin
1: for some talks, briefings, meetings. But uh, after the the operation starts in the Ukraine, we don't do anything. Uh, There's no Putin's propaganda. Nobody needs to explain anything. Everybody understands everything. It's crystal clear from a Russian perspective. But it's uh, complicated uh, for the Western uh, listeners to understand, I think. For me, it's war is part of diplomacy. If we have silly diplomacy, we have
0: to go to war. But Sergei's been worried about Ukraine for years. He worries about what he calls Nazis and neo-Nazis there, attacking Russians. He's also frustrated by all the money he says Russia has spent supporting Ukraine since the end of the Soviet Union. It started with Russia sending Ukraine heavily subsidized fuel, but Russian support for Putin isn't just about the war, he says.
1: He has no ideology. And everybody is happy because everybody is sick and tired from politics, ideologies, big plans, big wars, something like this. Russia don't want anything. We just want
0: to go plant our potatoes. Right now, it's the summer. And Sergei says the Russians he talks to just want to spend time at their vacation homes, what they call dachas, and Relax.
1: Moscow is empty because it's too hot and everybody on a dacha. It, this is what Russians want to do, and this is
0: what Putin providing. This, this is a core support group. But not every Russian is that relaxed. I asked Nico, a reporter, about Russia's anti war movement. So let's talk about the flip side of that the protest movements in Russia. <laughs> immediately following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Peace to Ukraine, freedom to Russia. A banner like this on the streets of a country that doesn't tolerate dissent. A defiant act indeed. And here's another. This one says no to war. We saw tons of images of these mass spontaneous protests that broke out in Russia. Who are the protesters now and what happened to those mass movements? Do we still see them?
2: All right. So after the first couple of weeks of the invasion, the protest movement, as in like the massive sort of street demonstrations, they all fizzled out. Part of that reason is just because so many people got arrested, like the authorities came down on it very hard. But there's also other reasons as well. For example, Russia doesn't really have an organized opposition anymore. So over the years, various dissident leaders, they've either been locked up, forced to go into exile. In a few cases, not many, but it's happened. They've been assassinated. There's still an active peace movement in Russia, but they've had to go underground. So, for example, there was one campaign which was organized by a feminist anti-war resistance group, which was replacing the price tags in supermarkets with information about the battle in
0: Mariupol. That's instant coffee on the top shelf. 400 rubles means it's about five bucks for the jar. But the description there does not say instant coffee. The description there says, the Russian army has bombed an art school in Mariupol.
2: One of the girls, she was reported by another shopper. And now she risks 10 years in prison for spreading disinformation about the armed forces.
0: Oh, wow.
2: There's also another group, the Trans-Siberian Express Railway, carrying military supplies the train got derailed huh. and the group called Stop the Trains claimed responsibility. So there's been some case of sabotage like that. There's been a wave of arson attacks against military recruitment officers. There's been a legal campaign. This is hard for them to stop about the, telling young men mostly how to avoid the army draft. And there's also been one thing that was quite interesting is because it's legally called a special operation, not a war. A group of uh, National Guardsmen actually used that as an excuse to disobey their orders. Because if it's a war, then they have to go or they'll get court-martialed. But they could refuse taking part in this special operation since it's not been legally termed a war. Mm. And I think that case is still ongoing in court. But still, these are all rather small movements. It's not on the level of, for example, the 1960s or 70s in America against the Vietnam War, Mm -hmm. or even in Russia, the protest movement against the wars in Chechnya. But it does go to show that this way of thinking still exists.
0: During those first anti war protests in February, thousands were reported arrested. People risk jail time, they risk punishment, right? Is that the reason that we're not seeing a bigger mass movement?
2: The police, even without criminal charges, you don't want to come across the bad side of the police. So when the first street demonstrations were happening, there's some reports, some women told the newspaper Nova Gazeta how the police station, they were beaten up. Someone had a gun put to their head. Another young woman was being threatened with rape. Oh, wow. And so like falling into the clutches of the police is like a whole other adventure before you even get officially charged. You know what I mean? Mm. Most of the lawbreakers in these cases, they got either a suspended sentence or a fine. The jails, they're already at maximum capacity. But for the first time, one Moscow counselor, he got seven years. So I think that's the first case of someone actually being imprisoned under that law.
0: And that case of the Moscow counselor was something Ilya Matviv was watching closely.
3: We should understand the bravery of people who still do this.
0: Medvedev is a Russian political scientist and writer who was living in St. Petersburg when the war broke out. He's clearly against the war.
3: This is what I published in a piece on day one of this invasion. This war is one of the biggest catastrophes of this century.
0: The Russian invasion of Ukraine began on February
3: 24th. In March, I left Russia because, uh, well, I'm quite fearful of what can happen to me. And one recent example was Ilya Yashin, a Moscow politician. He had a prominent YouTube channel, and uh, he was very outspoken against the war. For months, this
0: politician was on YouTube criticizing Moscow as the war went on. And everyone was wondering when he would be arrested, Ilya says.
3: Of course, at some point it happened, and he was arrested, and he is now in prison, facing criminal charges. So, in a sense, he just agreed to go to prison to demonstrate that opposition to this war still exists in Russian society.
0: But what about the people fighting the war? It's rare to hear the voices of Russian soldiers. Niko, our reporter, says cell phones are typically forbidden,
2: yeah, I don't think that they're even supposed to have their telephones with them for this reason, that they're not supposed to report back from the front to anyone, even their own families. So yeah, it's it's uh, very hard.
0: Who are the soldiers? Where are they from? What do we know about them?
2: Russia, Russia has national service, right? So in theory, every man aged 18 has to do one year of military service that's officially unofficially of course the vast majority of conscripts managed to dodge the draft especially if they're in well-to-do areas like moscow and st petersburg for example they can enroll in university they can get a doctor's note so basically the young men serving in the military as conscripts they tend to be from like the poorer more deprived areas decaying industrial towns or also ethnic minority areas such as Buryatia and and Dagestan. They're quite overrepresented in the military casualties in Ukraine, especially from Dagestan. And officially, the government has said that conscripts wouldn't be joining the front
0: line. Russian President Vladimir Putin was denying
3: the use of conscripts.
2: That's turned out to be not the case, because a lot of conscripts have died, and It's got to be a real shock to their families because nobody was expecting this war until February 24th. The government was saying this whole time, you know, there wouldn't be any kind of war. And these young men, they're just being deployed on the Ukrainian border for training exercises or whatever. So their parents weren't expecting this to happen. This isn't what they signed up for.
0: Let's talk about Russia's economy, because the Russian economy has been hit by this war we've heard of new sanctions on Russia, which have affected oligarchs, energy. How are they affecting everyday Russian people?
2: I was in Russia at the beginning, and I started to feel the sanctions firsthand because I was actually in a restaurant when the sanctions came in and I couldn't pay. Hmm. I had to let them keep my wallet hostage while I transferred some money to myself on Western Union, and now we, I, uh, I'm not in Russia anymore, but now you can't do it anymore because Western Union has also suspended its operations. There's also a lot of Western franchises like McDonald's, Burger King, Pizza Hut, a lot of fashion brands, they've closed up shop, they've left Russia. Russia's not going to be in the next World Cup, it's not going to play in FIFA, Netflix doesn't work anymore, which was a personal blow to me. But. The economy, it's surviving, it's its more or less stable.
0: People have gotten used to not having these comforts anymore. For Sergei, living without these things in Moscow seemed like a point of pride. Not
1: a problem. You can't buy Louis Vuitton legally, you understand. I'm really crying. Every Russian, every our last Russian is crying about this.
0: Russia's also imposed new restrictions since the war. But Niko, who's been covering this, says people who want to can find a way around that, too.
2: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they're all blocked. So people are either learning to do without, using alternative social media, they're using VPNs, and they're still posting all their all their thoughts online.
0: This kind of flies in the face of what Western leaders and Western pundits have said would happen, predicting Russians would get so fed up with these restrictions and with the changes to their daily lives. but. It sounds like that's not happening.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been to Iran before, and Iran's been under sanctions for decades. And the Ayatollah's government is still holding strong even after all this time. Cuba also under sanction for decades. Cuban government hasn't fallen yet either. And Russia's economy is a lot bigger than Cuba's or Iran's. Uh, Russia's got a lot of natural resources. Um, Europe is trying to rid itself of its dependency on Russian fossil fuels. But that just opens up another opportunity for China, because now China can buy those same fossil fuels at a discount.
0: And the ruble, maybe surprisingly, hit a seven-year high recently. Strategic alliances are shifting. We've seen Putin on the world stage still very much included in the global conversation. He met with Turkey's president, Iran's leaders. Has this war been good for Putin?
2: I think it's still too early to tell. A lot depends on whether his forces can achieve victory or what he can present as victory. But I think globally, Russia hasn't become as much of a pariah as the Americans and Europeans would have hoped.
0: So how will this end for Ilya Matviv against the war?
3: It's difficult to imagine at the moment. The regime looks solid, but uh, the future can hold anything. I would say that the war itself created such chaos, such uncertainty, that anything can happen.
0: But he thinks it will be quite a while before he feels like he can return home.
3: It's hard to say. I'm afraid not at the moment, not in the foreseeable future. So we'll try to build something outside of Russia.
0: For Sergei, it's simpler. OK, Russians will capture
1: the land. Kiev and Odessa, it's totally Russian cities, built by Russia. It's, it's ours, so give it back. You can't handle it, man. Peaceful living will start. Wheat will be exported to Europe. <laughs> Oil and gas products, all this stuff. In a matter of weeks, it will be normal.
0: And for Nico, finally, for you, do you foresee a time when things go back to how they were before this invasion? When you feel comfortable being back in Russia? I mean,
2: to be fair, the situation in Russia hasn't changed that much. Bars are still open, you know, those people are still going to music festivals in the summer. Like Wow. Well, We've talked a lot about the repression of the peace movement, but that hasn't affected everyone, you know? It's not like everyone is immediately rounded up and sends the gulag, you know? like They just need to make an example of a certain number of people. And I think maybe it's going to get to the point where the Ukraine fatigue is going to set in. And I think it's coming to that point already. We're not really seeing any huge gains. I think eventually it's going to get to the stage where, since neither Russia nor Ukraine are going to be able to win decisively. They're going to have to think of some way where the governments can present it as a victory to their public. And they're going to come to some kind of uneasy ceasefire on that. That's what I, what I hope is going to happen. But it's quite hard to tell because a lot of people, including me, wouldn't think that this war was even going to happen in the first place.
0: And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters, with Chloe K. Lee, Alexandra Locke, Nguyen Oliyei, Nay Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya El-Milek and Adam Abugat are our engagement producers. We'll be back.